Good to see everybody. Thank you to all of our visitors that uh, came with us to celebrate baptism today. Uh, it's, it's such a special moment. And so uh, uh, God be praised, we've already had a good day. And so uh, it's always wonderful to, uh, to see people coming to know the Lord. So I've got a question for you this morning. How many of you have ever been on top of the world one moment? And it seems like everything changes in an instant and suddenly... Not only are you not on top of the world, but somehow it's your fault. And, and now you're in trouble or, or it, you know, something's happened and, and it happened so quickly that your head's spinning and you're thinking, what in the world just happened? Things were so good. Well, today, as we continue our series, Rejected by Jesus, we're going to look at somebody that that happened to. One moment, he's being... Blessed, he's told he's blessed by God. And his boldness was rewarded. And within the same conversation, just minutes later, he's called Satan. Now, some of you know who I'm talking about, and we're going to look at our good friend Peter today. Because Peter, you know, you got to love Peter, don't you? When you look in scripture, I mean, if Peter's saying it, everybody else is thinking it. But Peter's that guy that's just willing. I mean, let's just, let's just put it out there. Let's just say it. Let's just do it. Let's, whatever it is, he's all in. And I think that's why in one moment he's on top of the world, and the next moment Jesus is harshly rebuking him and, and honestly rejecting what he thought was good and right and true. And Peter found himself rejected by Jesus in what should have been a moment of triumph. And so we have a, a, a lot of lessons, some, some very important lessons we can learn from Peter in this moment in his life. And, you know, always I got to wonder about, you know, as Peter's telling the story, if he wanted to leave this part out. But I think he probably didn't uh, because he, you know, in his life as he went on, he, he began to understand this wasn't about him. And it wasn't about what he thought should be. It was about God's kingdom. And all of us, when we come to God's kingdom, we're going to find out things that we never imagined. We're going to experience God's presence in ways that, that fundamentally transform us from the inside. But we're also going to be knocked off our perch and we're going to find out that we are not in charge and many times we got to find that out in a harsh manner sometimes Jesus has to discipline us and let us know put us in our place and it happens to all of us so look with me today in Matthew 16 beginning in verse 13 and we'll go through verse 23 and it says now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, he said, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elida, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, Peter's got to be saying, Hey, what happened to that whole I'm blessed thing? Can we just go back to that? But Jesus starts this discussion asking an important question. He says, who do the people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? Now, there aren't any more important question in Scripture that needs to be answered. And we have to understand both of them. Because when we ask the question, who do people say that Jesus is? What are we asking? We're asking, what is the popular culture understanding of Jesus? Now, when has pop culture ever been right? Never. Okay, pop culture is not your friend. Never has been, never will be. Pop culture always gets it wrong. And so when we ask the question, who do the people, who do people say that Jesus is, we're showing that we are going to have an understanding of what the world is doing and then he switches it around and says, but who do you say that I am? And we got to find out which camp we're in. If who we say Jesus is matches what the world says, we're wrong. You know, we're, we're not quite the rebel if everyone agrees with us, right? And so listen again in, in 13 through 17 because Jesus starts a very important discussion here. He says, now, when he came into the district, Caesarea Philippi, I said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, notice he didn't say I, he said Son of Man. You see, that was Jesus' favorite description of himself, of course, drawing from the book of Daniel, Old Testament prophecy, and Jesus referred to himself as Son of Man more than anything else in Scripture. And so he's giving them, he's already giving a hint. When he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He's saying, there's, there's going to be some various interpretations of this. Are they offended by it? Do they accept it? Do they understand it? What is it that's happening here? And as usual, what does the world do? It says, and they said, some say John the Baptist. Now, by this point, John the Baptist is dead. So they, they're thinking he's somehow already come back to life, even though, what? Jesus and John the Baptist were alive at the same time. As I said, has the world ever gotten anything right? You see, when we start to ask what the world believes about Jesus, understand we're going to get some, quite frankly, stupid answers. And to say he's John the Baptist, it shows that they have put no critical thought into this at all. Okay, so it says, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're taking what they understand scripturally, which was all over the place, and they're trying to make sense of it, but they're trying to make sense of it in a way that makes sense to them. And one of the things we know about God is 
we got to take things on his terms, not ours. His truth is never going to make sense to us interpreted strictly through our worldview. It will always leave us scratching our head. And so after getting the world's answer, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You see, he's now made this personal. It's easy for us to join into pop psychology and pop culture and say, oh, yeah, you know, and we have an opinion on it. And, you know, you ever notice this? It happens a lot on college campuses where we all sit around and we talk and we feel smart, but we draw no conclusions. It happens a lot. It's what people do. And, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with this, except when it comes time to make a real decision. And guess what? We all have to make real decisions when it comes to God. God does not allow anybody to skate by standing on the sidelines without making a decision. And so Jesus forces this onto his disciples now. Okay, we see the crazy ideas that the world has. What do you say? And he puts them on the spot, and Peter jumps out there with the correct answer. He says it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That cannot get any more plain, can it? That is a confession of confessions. That is a guy who is not ashamed of what he believes, who knows what he believes, and he jumps out there with confidence and tells Jesus that. And Jesus says what? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which just means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. See, the world has no idea who Jesus is and never will. Now, the world will know there is something different and special about Jesus, but they, they're always going to be odd in how they try to, to get around the fact of who he is. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one of God who is the Son of God, the eternal living Son of God, preexistent Son of God. The world was created through him. He is God. And anything that stops short of that, is, you know, you can't be kind of right with Jesus. You either agree he is the Son of God, eternal, died on the cross, raised again on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father, or you're wrong. And it, look, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Which one is this going to be? And, and so they will never quite understand who Jesus is and they'll never take the steps necessary to worship him and confess him as Lord. What are some of the things we hear today? Well, we hear, you know, Jesus was a good man. He was, he was a teacher. He was an example for everybody. All of those are true, but they fall well short of who he actually is. Who is Jesus? Eternal Son of God. And so you hear people, well, what about the cross? Well, I think he laid a, a wonderful example for us at the cross. To show us what self-sacrifice is. No, Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, when we know the truth of Jesus and we confess it, it's easy to see those that are trying to somehow get around it. Those who are hedging their bet and not wanting to put their faith in him and him alone. So we have to expect this from the world. Okay, John even said this in the opening of his gospel in John 1.10. It said, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
Imagine having a favorite author that you claim to love his books. And you love his books so much that you've memorized them. And then that author comes to visit you and you don't know who he is. That seems a little hard to to, to accept, right? And yet that's exactly what happened. The author came to visit and they didn't know who he was. Jesus himself said in John 8, 47, he says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you're not of God. Notice how black and white he just made that. It's either or. He says you're either with God and you hear the words of God and you will believe in Jesus Christ or you are not of God. You can't kind of be with God. You can't halfway believe and get half salvation. You're either in or you're out. It comes down to those who are of God and those who are not. And so listen in John chapter 2, 23 through 25, because Jesus knows what he's walking into. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. You see, Jesus knows this world is never going to accept him. He came into this world knowing he was going to be crucified by those who claimed to love him. And it says he did not entrust himself to anybody. To anybody. And so Jesus is now asking his disciples to understand the world's position versus their own position. And I love how Jesus does this. You ever notice how Jesus, God just always asks the right question. He doesn't typically just come out and just slam the truth on a person. He just asks the right question. You know, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they hide and and God comes to the garden, he says, hey, where are you? That's the right question. You know, Jesus, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Let's, let's, Let's go ahead and get into this. And they have no problem. And he says, yeah, but who do you say that? You know, that's that moment when the question's asked and everybody starts looking away. Because they're like, ah, ooh. Okay, I know you're not John the Baptist because I'm not, you know, that's, that's just weird. And yet Peter just jumps out there. You are the Christ. You see, when he turns this to his disciples, Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, Peter boldly confesses Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is correct in this, this big moment. Peter has stepped away from the world and heard the voice of God. And that's what, that's what he means from this. Okay, Jesus confirms it wasn't Peter who figured this out. Peter wasn't smarter, he wasn't more spiritual, he wasn't wasn't better than the other disciples. He was bolder, but we're going to see that boldness runs both directions. But what we find in this is it wasn't that Peter figured it out, it's that he did listen to the voice of God, and God told him, this is the Christ. 
This came directly from the Father in heaven. And now make note of this. Life-changing truth never originates on earth or with us. It always comes directly from God. Life-changing truth never originates with us. Now, why do we have to remember this? Because it keeps us humble. You see, we start becoming self-righteous if we think we've figured it out. If we start thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm close enough with God that, yeah, I can get this. Look, it never starts with us. It's always God opening our mind to the truth. And we read in Scripture there are two groups of people. There are those who, whom are willing to hear the truth and God opens their mind to it. And there are those who aren't willing to hear the truth and God hardens their heart against it. You see, wherever we are, if we are with God, God is willing to give and he opens our heart and he blesses us. But if we show that we are against God, then God hardens us and says, yeah, you go ahead and go your own way. I'm not going to make you follow me. In fact, I'm going to give you more of yourself. I'm going to give you more of that heart that is obstinate and stubborn and stiff-necked. I'm just going to let you exist in that. And I'm going to push you towards it. And so that's why this is such a big moment because Jesus is now able to open the door for that and say, look, you're blessed, Peter, because you are hearing the words of God. You didn't figure this out, but you did hear it from the Father. And that's something to build on. That is a great foundation to start to understand life. Where does this go? In, in James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. This is why I say life-changing truth never originates on earth. It never originates with people. It's always from God because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So do we look at our lives and say, you know what, every good thing, every good truth, everything that I know that is good has come from God. That will sure keep us humble, won't it? We are fully dependent on God to know God. Not one of us woke up and decided, I'm going to figure out the secrets to the universe and did it. It's only because God has shared in his grace that he has shared himself with us. And so it's important for us to learn this and really establish it in our hearts that we are fully dependent on God for every bit of truth, for every good gift, every bit of goodness, every bit of righteousness, every bit of forgiveness, every bit of grace, all of it, because it protects us from making the mistake that Peter is about to make. And that is that we need to, uh, hey, don't become arrogant. Just because we got one thing right doesn't mean we're going to get everything else right. Just because we've been successful in the past doesn't mean we're about to be successful. Just because we listened to God before doesn't mean we're listening to God now. And this is a problem with people of faith. We are all susceptible to it. This is not pointing fingers at everybody. This is the human condition. Is we start to think, oh, I got this right. I must be awesome. And now I'm going to get everything right. And this is exactly what Peter did. And so we can't become arrogant because, look, when we learn the truth of Scripture, there is, when we learn the truth of Jesus and we accept that, it opens up a whole world of powerful spiritual truth. 
We can experience the presence of God. We start to see the world differently. We start to experience it differently. We start to understand things. I mean, it, we, we, we do. We become enlightened to spiritual truth, and God starts speaking to us. And it's easy for us to then get the cart before the horse and start thinking that, hey, I've got this all figured out. Now, how many in here, the first time you heard a difficult truth from God, just immediately understood it? We don't, right? It's hard. And God has to work with us, and he has to mold our minds, and he has to show us and, and convince us, and, and he does. He walks with us in grace and does that. And so Jesus starts to reveal some amazing truth because they are ready for it. Once we confess Jesus Christ and that is established, it opens the door for greater truth. Now, it's, there's no greater truth than Jesus is Lord. But what it does is it starts to cast a light on everything else. And it alters the way we look at the rest of life. And so Jesus starts to explain to the disciples now the nature of this kingdom, of God's kingdom. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock. Now understand, in the Greek right here, there's a play on words. Okay, he says, understand that you are Petra, Petros, I'm sorry, I'm getting that backwards. You are Petros, but on this Petra rock, I will establish my, I will build my church. Now what is the rock? Peter is not the rock that he's talking about. Okay, there is in, in church history those that believe that, that Peter somehow became the Pope out of this and that he's this authority over everybody else. That's not what's happening, and the language bears it out. He says, you are Petros, but on this Petra, there's a play on words, I will build my church. What is the Petra? It is the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what that's pointing back to. On the rock of the confession of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. We must confess Jesus Christ ourselves. Now, Peter has done that, so now he gets to understand what the kingdom is about. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's why I say, every time we have a baptism, it is proof that the confession of Jesus Christ is so powerful that Satan can't stop it. He cannot come against it. He can try to confuse it. He can try to silence it. And he fails every time because when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit, God himself is involved and nothing can stop what happens. And that is being reborn, being made new. And so he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so what he's telling them right here is that everything from the kingdom, all truth, all spiritual power, everything originates in heaven. If we see a spiritual act on earth, understand it originated in heaven. It started with God. When we see a person saved, it started in heaven with God. When we see a person discipled and they become a servant of God, it started in heaven and God made it happen. That's what he's talking about when he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He's not saying we have authority to do whatever we want in the kingdom of God. He's saying we are under the authority of the kingdom of God. And we will engage in kingdom work, which is the most amazing work on the earth. It is a powerful work. We do get to be involved in the kingdom of God, which is what? It's eternal. 
We get to bring people into the kingdom of God. We get to experience the power and help others experience the power of the kingdom of God. So this is an amazing work, but we can't take it further than it's meant to go. He's not saying, oh yeah, because of Peter, you can now do what, you know, you can just do whatever you want and, and heaven's going to look down on it and say, yes, you're, you're right. That's not what he's saying. And so he starts to explain that. And, and basically, we are incapable of producing heavenly fruit on our own. We must be dependent on the kingdom for that. But we will see amazing things happen as we follow Jesus by following him. And where does this start? Because it says, then he strictly charged disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. In verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What is the foundation for all of this work? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his death and resurrection. So as he's describing the kingdom of God, he then points them to the thing that they're going to need the most, that they need to understand the most, and that is that he is going to die, he's going to be resurrected. Everything comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything. Every bit of spiritual power we have, it will, it will flow from your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every bit of influence you will have in the kingdom of God flows from your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It always comes back to that. Our understanding of spiritual truth, of the kingdom of God, of understanding scripture, flows from understanding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, the scriptures, they testify to me. Because it all comes back to him. And so Jesus is laying the foundation here. He says, you say I'm the Christ. Okay, here's what you need to understand about the Christ. And what does he do? I love that he runs straight to the cross. He, before it happened, he tells him, I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. This is what you need to understand. This is what you need to have. And this is not an easy thing. I know it sounds easy to us because we live in a post, shall we say, a, a, a post Pentecostal world where the Holy Spirit has come and we've heard this and we have the whole Bible. But understand, Peter, what was his understanding of a Messiah? It was a political leader who was going to come in and be a conquering king who was going to kick the Romans out and establish the nation of Israel over all the earth and be the greatest kingdom that ever existed. That was his understanding of the Messiah. So when he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he is correct but his understanding of it is incomplete. And he shows that because when Jesus tells him, hey, I'm going to die and be resurrected, what does he do? He says, no, you're not. You know why? Because it's hard to rule a kingdom on earth when you're dead. And so it makes no sense to him. And he fully believes he's the son of God. He really does. But his future, he's looking at it saying, no, you're going to rule this kingdom. You're going to establish this kingdom on earth, and I'm going to be with you, and this is going to be awesome. And then he says, I'm going to die, and he's like, no, 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 no. You can't die. That, that messes everything up. And you see how he confessed Jesus 
but he's immediately not open to a greater truth than what he already has. How many of us in here close ourselves off to a greater truth than what Jesus wants to do with us, through us, who we are, who he is, because it contradicts what we already think we know? Jesus, Peter thought he knew where this was going. And he thought he knew all the way up to the point he denied him. Because he always held on to and believed that this kingdom was going to be established and he was going to be greater than Solomon and greater than David and this kingdom was going to happen. And, and that's why he was willing to fight. That's why he drew his sword in the garden. That's why he was like, yeah, let's do this. I want a revolution. And Jesus kept telling him, put your sword away. Because he was building a different kingdom. And so verse 22, it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now that word rebuke is serious. Peter gets mad at him. Now can you, I, I know we can comically picture this and think, Wow, my man, you are out of line. But this is how passionately he believed this. And he didn't see this as disrespectful to Jesus because to him this was nonsense. Now what does the scripture say? It says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We see it on display here. He thinks this is foolishness. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're not ever going to allow that to happen. You are the king. And we will keep you the king. We will fight for you. And so it says he rebuked him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You think that was easy to hear? Yet did Jesus back off this at all? No, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. His understanding of Jesus being the Christ and the Messiah was colored by worldly things and worldly ideas of power. And he had to be rejected for that. Jesus had to put that down now. And he could use no uncertain terms because that talk was going to stop everything from happening that needed to happen. You see, think about this. Peter quickly learns that past success and even current blessings don't mean we have it figured out. And if Peter had gotten his wish, Jesus does not die on the cross. Salvation never happens and the world is lost. Yikes. See, we don't understand. When, and that's the point, is when God starts working in deep spiritual ways, in deep ways, God's plan is always so much bigger than what we can imagine that we have to humble ourselves and say, you know what, God, I just don't understand what this means. That's all Peter needed to say right there. He could have taken him aside and said, I, this really bothers me that you're saying you're going to die. I don't understand it. We'd had a whole different situation. But Peter, man, he just acted and he jumped into it and he says, that's not going to happen. And Peter said, or Jesus said, yeah, it is. Get behind me, Satan. He calls his, his disciple Satan. And he says, you are a hindrance. And that kind of hindrance would stop everybody from coming into the kingdom and coming in for salvation. You see, don't underestimate when we get it wrong, even as people who follow Jesus, the damage that can be done to somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. That's why we have to focus on the cross. 
You see, even though Jesus is explaining the gospel to them ahead of time, they don't understand it, and they fully reject it. Understand, they just rejected the gospel. Jesus explained it to them. I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again on the third day. And they're like, no, no, no. Never happened. Never going to happen. And Jesus just simply says, get behind me, Satan. I, had, I am not compromising this, and I'm not even going to indulge what you're talking about. Now, how do we learn about this? Well, one, understand deep calls unto deep. Okay, deep calls unto deep. It was after Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ that Jesus started telling them plainly about the cross. Their understanding of the Messiah now needed to change. Because for them to continue down the path that they believed the Messiah was was going to be very dangerous. Because they wanted a political revolution. They wanted a war. And Jesus didn't come for that. He came for spiritual truth, for spiritual war, a spiritual kingdom. That time is coming, and that will be his return when he will return, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But it's not time yet. And so we have to learn that the more truth we see, okay, the more truth we hear from God, the more our own understanding of the world, of God, and of ourselves will be challenged. Again, some of the great paradoxes of following God is that the closer we get to him, the less sense he's going to make. The more he's going to challenge. You know, there, there are times that, man, things just seem clear when you're a young Christian. As you get older and you get more mature in the faith, the foundation is still there. Trust me, that never changes. But, man, you just become a little less sure of yourself. Can we get some seasoned Christians to say Amen. You just get a little less sure of yourself. You get a lot more sure that God knows what he's doing, but you don't pretend to understand it all. And that's what Peter here, he got arrogant and he thought, yeah, I've got this under control. I know who Jesus is and I know how this is going to go. And that had to stop. And so understand, we never arrive. There will never be a time that we are not fully dependent on God for Revelation, for guidance, for strength, for power, for wisdom, for grace. We never reach that point that we outgrow our dependence on him. Because the instant we think we've arrived, we become arrogant and we stop hearing the truth. Peter thought he arrived. And so when he starts hearing the greatest truth that will ever be told to humanity, what did he do? He rejected it. Because he thought, I'm there. I've got it figured out. Two, always leave room for the work of God. Leave God room to work is what, how I like to say it. Even if it seems like you've got it figured out and it all fits well and you can put it all together, just leave some room for some mystery. Leave some room for God to surprise you. And I mean that. Leave room for God to do something that you would have never imagined, that you'd never thought, that, that it just leave room for that because he keeps us humble and trust me, God's going to do that. You don't know when, you can't predict it, but there's going to be some moment where it all seems to make sense and then God sends something out of left field and we're like, what? whoa, God, hold on a minute. And he says, yeah, this is cool, isn't it? You get to learn, pay attention, listen, grow. And we're like, but I, I thought I had this. I, and he says, shh, just listen. Go back to your word, think through it, pray through it. 
And I've found in, in my life, when we do that, when we intentionally leave God room to work, I say this a lot. If you're around me a lot, you know that I, this is one of my sayings. Leave God room to work. It's because we stop trying to force things then. Who in here has learned you can't force things with God? I'm going to raise both hands. It, it, there was a time I, I, I was probably a, a lot like Peter. Like, you just got to make it happen. It's got to happen. And, you know, we, we get the cart before the horse and bad things always happen. Always, when we start doing that. If we just leave room God to work, then we do what's faithful. We do what's right. We, we're faithful to the things that God puts in front of us. What does he want me to do right now? Okay, I know these things. I know that this is faithfulness. So focus there and just leave, leave God room to do whatever he wants to do. And be open to it. And you'll find that, wow, that, you know, I don't have to force things. And then when God starts moving, I'm, I'm way, way more prepared to recognize it. Because I don't have, a, have it predetermined in my mind how it's got to go. You see, we miss out on a lot of what God's doing because we've predetermined in our mind it's going to look like this. And God does something over here and we're so focused here, we just miss it. Or we catch it in our peripheral vision, we're like, that seems weird. What is that? That's God. But leave him room to work. And what does that mean? That means Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You see, Peter found himself quickly and harshly rejected by Jesus because he would have stood in the way of the cross and the very mission that God sent Jesus to fulfill. And so he finds himself rejected because he was leaning on his own understanding. And it's easy for us to do that because, hey, it makes sense. This is what logically makes sense to me. And, and it can feel right and it can look good. And you know what Proverbs tells us? This is there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We have to leave room for God to work and trust that he knows what he's doing. And so... To close this out, I will just say, don't try to force God into our comfort zones. Because that's what Peter was trying to do right here. It was very unnerving for him to hear that Jesus was going to die. Somehow he missed the be raised again on the third day. Because I, I think in that moment, I'd be like, wait, tell me more about, wait, what? Raised? You're, you're going to die and come back to life? That's cool. How's that going to work? You, you see, if... It's amazing the truth that when we're just willing to silence ourselves and just listen, that God gives us these, these tidbits that are so powerful. I mean, he just told him right there, I'm going to die and come back on the third day. And he just casually brushes it aside because it makes him uncomfortable. And he's like, no, I'm just, I, I'd just rather you not die. And Jesus is like, did you not hear me? I'm going to come back. We miss out on the greatest things of God when we start trying to push him into our comfort zone, into what makes sense to us. And so Jesus turns to his disciples after this discussion with Peter, and he has to set some things straight. And what does he say in verse 24? It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This makes a lot more sense in context, doesn't it? He's like, hey, guys, we've got to settle something right now. You want to follow me? It's not about your way. It's not about what you think. It's not about what you're comfortable with. It's about me. 
And you better deny those impulses that Peter just had. And I know you were all thinking it. You better learn to deny those and deal with the hard truth. It says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what do we find here? One, self-denial is more than just avoiding sin. Self-denial is literally denying everything about makes sense to us in the world and saying, I'm going to adopt God's truth over my truth. And our world needs to hear that right now. We have to listen to God's truth over my truth. However confusing it may be, whatever our world tells us, whatever our eyes see, whatever our ears hear, we have to choose to accept God's truth above it all. And that is self-denial. Okay, we, we all have gut reactions, emotional responses, and draw intellectual conclusions that will lead us away from God, and we are called to deny those. Some are more intellectual, some are more emotional. It, it, you are who you are. He's telling us all we have to deny that. We have to deny ourselves and trust that the life God is leading us into is true life. And two, like the disciples, we will have to make a choice between what we feel and see and what God says is true and lasting. We have to make a choice. Remember, this started with Jesus making him make a choice. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Which one? Go. Jesus doesn't leave it to chance. We all have to make this decision. We have to make the call. What do we see today? Baptism. People made a decision. And they are rewarded for it with eternal life. They are rewarded with it, with the fellowship of the saints and with the spirit of God and, and, and God's protection in their life. But we have to make the choice. And that's why he says, if we make life about ourselves, whoever would save his life will lose it. We will lose the very thing we're trying to save. He says, if we make it about him, whoever will lose his life will find it. And three, and this is important, we'll close up. The payoff does not come in this life. I didn't say there's no payoff in this life, but the ultimate payoff does not come in this life. It does not happen with heaven on earth. It is not going to happen with world peace. It is not going to happen with the perfect church. Sorry, I'm your pastor, so it's not going to happen. The payoff does not come in this life. Yes, in this life there are blessings, there's the presence of God, there's the fruit of the Spirit, there is the fellowship of the saints, there's the Word of God, there's so much good, there, there is the, the wisdom of God in your life. I mean, God's uh, blessings are abundant, but they are merely a taste of what is to come. And Jesus tells him this in Matthew 16, 27. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Now again, pause and think about what he just said. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. 
That is a catastrophic, monumental, world-ending event. And he says when this happens, he says what? Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That's when the payoff happens. When Jesus returns, that's when all who are in Christ get to say, we were right, we followed the right one, and then we enter into our reward. Anybody looking for the reward now, you're going to be disappointed. You have his presence and you have his promises and you have hope, but the reward is not in this life. It is in the kingdom when it is fully inaugurated, when it is fully brought in. And Jesus will leave no mistaking it there. Okay? We're not going to have her wonder, is this the kingdom of God? What did he just say? He says, the full glory of the Father and all the angels of heaven, I'm going to come back. It's, it's the end of the world and it's going to be amazing. And you know why it doesn't describe it more in scripture? Because we can't comprehend it. It is going to be so amazing and so great and so glorious and, and, and so powerful that all we can do is get these, these words that just kind of hint towards it. But we understand in Scripture it says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has stored for those who love him. So think on those words when you start thinking, is it worth it? But it all begins with us being willing to deny ourselves, lean not on our own understanding, and don't fall into the same trap that Peter did of thinking we have it all figured out. Leave God room to work. Don't become arrogant. But in the end, make sure you've made the choice to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. And God, I thank you that you have given us these examples in Scripture that we can learn. God, thank you that you have sent your Spirit to guide us into truth, God, because we can't do this apart from you. We know we offer nothing, we bring nothing. But God, we do give ourselves to you and pray for your guidance, your wisdom, and your power in our lives. God, lead us in your way. Use us for your kingdom. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.